Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie, reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 72 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Digital Federal Credit Union, better known by all of us by now as Simply DCU. And whether you're driving off the lot or refinancing, DCU can help you save on your next auto loan with rates as low as 1.49% APR. Getting a new car right now can be super complicated. Because they're hard to find. But your financing is definitely not complicated if you go to DCU. And whether you're refinancing or you're driving a brand new car off the lot, DCU wants to help you save on your next auto loan. And 1.49% APR? They're not kidding around. Those rates are low. You can learn more at dcu.org auto. Insured by the NCUA, membership required. Okay, my guest on this week's episode is Brendan Yates. He's the lead singer and co-producer of the band Turnstile. Their latest album is called Glow On, and it came out back in August. And Turnstile is out on the road and will be through most of November. Turnstile made a tour stop in Connecticut, and Brendan sat down and had a tea with me and Dodge Rogue forklifts in the process. You'll hear the beeping in the interview. Brendan was super charismatic and really approachable and just open and honest. And we talked about a lot of stuff, about growing up wanting to be a drummer and getting his first drum set and the relationship with his parents and the kind of music that he was inspired by and exposed to growing up. We talked about how the guys in Turnstile met, what it's like to be on the road touring in a van, navigating all of the pressures of COVID, keeping yourself occupied while you're out on the road and you're not on stage, how he likes his coffee. We talked about chess. And of course, we talked about songwriting. Brendan was really cool and it was awesome to get to know him. And hopefully this is another example of a band that you can say, oh, I heard about him on the Mistress Carrie podcast. Now, if you want to hear the music, there's a corresponding playlist linked in the show notes of this podcast episode. I do it for every full-length episode of the podcast. So you have all the music from the artist that I'm talking to and all the music we referenced in the interview all in one place. So pour yourself a coffee or a tea and allow me to introduce you to Brendan Yates from Turnstile.
Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the Band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mrs. Carrie, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to. You have the privilege of listening to Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Good morning, Brendan. Good morning. I mean, it's, it's afternoon. It's yeah, it's kind of afternoon, kind of good morning. I know you're having tea. I'm having coffee. So cheers. Cheers. Is tea part of your morning ritual because of your voice? Uh, it depends. You know, I, I like coffee as well. Um, but both not necessarily as much for like you know, the energy or whatever, but more so just the ritual of just sipping something warm in the morning, collecting the thoughts, you know, starting the day out on a good foot. So, It is something nice to just kind of sit, the smell. I don't particularly understand people that don't like coffee. I feel like they're from another planet. Yeah, I, I never really, I thought I didn't like it growing up. I always loved the smell, but I thought the taste was weird. And then once I started kind of like sipping it, like a little later in life, I, uh, I just kind of, yeah, it's more just the ritual. I just, I like it. The ritual made me like the, the taste. So Plus you got to figure out how you like it. And once you figure out how you like it, then it's totally different. Right. I'm fully black, fully black coffee. So I like it in its purest form. Uh, can you drink iced coffee at all? Because in New England, we drink iced coffee even in the wintertime. Yeah, I like going with the season. So I like flip-flopping, you know, when it gets when it gets cold, I like a little warm drink in the summertime, I'll switch to ice, but kind of just based on the based on the morning. I talk to a lot of artists that have been doing this a long time and especially the singers. Usually they've got a a, a ritual now to kind of protect their voice and give them longevity of career. Are you at all worried about doing things now that will protect your voice so that Turnstile can be a band for the long term? Uh, yeah, I guess the worry exists in the back of my head because I don't necessarily, I don't think like I have the tools as like a singer. So I don't really, I'm probably doing a lot of things wrong. I kind of just go up and just shout a lot. Um, but yeah, I definitely, I definitely, uh, probably would be smart to kind of uh, find some tools, find some things to kind of preserve it a little more. But um, yeah, kind of just kind of just freestyle it and figure it out as I go. Bands always kind of start out, you know, with their friends making music for the love of it. And when you get out and you start touring and you start traveling, rock music is one of the only genres that really gives you that op option to kind of grow old and do what you love. Right. I mean, you look at bands like the Rolling Stones that are still out there doing it. It's kind of amazing that once you build a fan base, they're kind of with you forever. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah. I think, I think for us, like 
you know, I think there's always the hopes to, you know, do things as long as possible, but it's never like an expectation. It's kind of just like enjoy, you know, the moment that you're in and kind of like, you know, never have like, uh, all right, we're going to do this record. Then we're going to do this one a couple of years later. And kind of like in cycles, we never really think of it that way. It's always kind of like, if it feels right, we're going to be doing it and um, kind of just let it take its own course. Well, let's go back to the beginning because I want to find out how you ended up in Turnstile. So uh, did you grow up in Baltimore or is that just where the band got together? Yeah, I grew up um, between Baltimore and D.C. and like the suburbs, kind of wooded area in between, a little closer to D.C. Um, and uh, that's where me and the guitar player grew up on the same street as kids growing up. And then um, Pat and Daniel, the drummer and guitar, other guitar player, also grew up in the area. Pat grew up right outside Baltimore. And then Daniel grew up kind of close to where we live, um, PG County. Um, Franz is the only one, our bass player is from Ohio. Um, so all of us grew up in the same area. And then we met Franz through um, just my other band, just went to Ohio one time and, and met him. And then he hopped in the van and never got out. So just became kind of like an instant connection of, of friends and um, have a long history of just growing up together and going to shows together and playing in bands and stuff like that. So we've all known each other for a long time. Did you grow up with music in the house? Did your parents have music on all the time? And what were you listening to growing up? Yeah, definitely. My mom was really into like, you know, all kinds of like musicals and like Frank Sinatra and like, um, kind of like 70s like mamas and the papas and all kind of stuff and then like my dad was more motown so he's always playing like motown stuff my grandpa um kind of uh had a lot of like jazz records and played piano as well um so i don't think anyone was uh and then also my older sister she when i was born she was 20 so she's like right in that age where she was like finding cool stuff so as I was growing up, she was feeding me like little tapes and stuff she would make of like cool stuff. So of like rock and rap stuff and um, metal stuff and like all kind of stuff. So I think there was kind of a lot of different angles um, that I was like immediately exposed to music. One of my theories is that you get exposed to all this music from, like you said, your parents, your older siblings, aunts and uncles. And then there's a band or an album or a song that you discover on your own that's yours. Who was that band for you? What was that album for you that you said, no, wait, this, I don't like this because someone else played it for me. I like this because this is mine. I gotta think. I think like, uh, you know, I, I would always carry around a little, a little tape cassette player that had the AM FM radio and I could record songs off the radio. So I was always kind of like listening just to find some stuff to put on the mixtapes. And one that stood out to me was um, The Prodigy and the song breathe by them. And it, it was never really like, I think also maybe what made me excited about it is they weren't playing it a lot. It only came on like real late at night on like the local rock stations. And um, very rarely too, like kind of like maybe once a week and I had to like listen and try to try to uh, hear for it. And it was just my, still is probably one of my favorite songs. And that was like my favorite song growing up. I would like record it on every, every chance I got, it would record it on the mixtape. I'd have like a hundred little cassettes with it on it, like five times each. Um, and I would just like dance in the street to it. And 
I don't know. I just loved it so much. Did you always intend on being a singer? How did this happen? I never did. And I still don't, I still don't necessarily feel like I am. I, I've, I've always played drums growing up. I, um, there's a long list instrument. of drummers that have become successful singers. You are one in a very long tradition in rock and roll that have figured out how to do that. Yeah. I think it was kind of just like drumming has always kind of been like my main focus and I played drums in a band. Um, and you know, that's how I kind of started touring and stuff and, and, traveling a little bit with that and then um i had sung in a band like neighborhood bands and stuff that me and brady and some other people i did when we were younger but it was never serious and then um i think starting this it was kind of also like with no expectation to to do anything long term or even to tour or anything it was kind of just like let's make music um and brady had like some ideas and we're like let's just record it in our friend's basement so the first album was just First two were just recorded in our friend's basement, like in our neighborhood. Um, and it kind of just, yeah, kind of eventually realizing that, you know, playing playing one show a year for the first couple of years, kind of realized like, oh, maybe we should play a little more. And then once we did, it kind of just started happening. So I feel like it's every parent's nightmare that your kid wants to play the drums. Did they, <laughs> Were you allowed to, to bring them in the house with... When did you actually get a drum kit and start making that racket in the house? That's so real. I, I remember, so I got, I finally got, I was asking for a drum set and, you know, I think my parents are very reserved on actually feeding into that, feeding into that. And uh, after probably a couple of years of persistence and seeing that I was like in the school bands and playing drums and really wanted a drum set, they finally got me one. And I remember for Christmas, got the drum set and I was like the most excited I've ever been. And then it was like nighttime, probably like 8 p.m. on Christmas night. And I started playing it. And my mom was like, hey, let's just like, you know, like play it in the morning. And, uh, you know, don't you don't have to play it tonight. Like, let's just call it. Let's just chill. Maybe watch a movie, you know, Christmas night. And I remember having a whole freak out because I was like, man, I'm never going to be able to play. Like, it's always going to be too loud. Like, you know, I just have this big moment. This is so funny to think about. But like, yeah, they definitely were super supportive. and. Once they got me the drum set, you know, drumming in bands throughout middle school and high school and like taking me to shows and allowing me to play um, whenever, you know, they weren't, whenever it wasn't too late at night. So. It's also one of those things where I think parents have this dream when their kids are born and they have an idea, they're going to be a doctor, they're going to cure cancer. I don't think any parent ever holds their little swaddled baby and is like, I hope they end up in a rock band and out on tour. How did they handle the realization that turnstile is a thing and this is what your life is now? I think I'm definitely fortunate because they were always very supportive. Um, I think there was a fear initially once I was kind of like, you know, I, I was in school and then I, dropped out of school because I was like, I want to, I have an opportunity to tour more. I like just want to tour um, and just play more. And I'm sh I think that was a little scary, you know, for my mom um, at the time, very supportive, but also I get it because it's like, it's a very, like just going out and being gone for a month at a time, traveling across the world. It's kind of a scary thing. If you have like a, you know, 18 year old kid who's never really left the, the small little town that you grew up in. Um, 
So like, I think it was a, a, a phase of like easing into it and, you know, realizing that it's okay. Like, you know, I was okay. And then I also ended up going back to school, just and got a degree online just while I was touring just for, I, I don't even know why, like, I don't think I'll ever use it, but I was just like, I just, you know, it was like something that felt like, uh, I just wanted to get off my list. And I think that helped as well. Cause I think like, you know, seeing that I was able to like, which taught me a lot of, especially early on, taught me a lot of time management and responsibility and um, things that, you know, you learn just through life experience that I was getting um, that, you know, I think they started to see that and, you know, feel a little more comfortable with, um, you know, the music What were you studying in school? Uh, I was studying like some communications stuff and like conflict management and pretty, pretty like basic things like that, that I just kind of wanted to kind of, I started off doing like kinesiology and then I just, you know, had that whole, that whole path of like going one direction and fully switching it. And then, you know, it was very like, I was kind of even starting going to school. I didn't even really want to be there because I wanted to be doing music. But then also a part of me like didn't want to study music because I always wanted to keep those things separate, which in hindsight now I probably would have like done something I could have used like, you know. um, I think you're going to put the skills of of, uh, conflict management into use on a tour bus with your band. For sure. Yeah, I think there's, (laughs) you know, I mean, even just like school in general, I think it's a little less like, you know, necessary for everyone now. I've... um, but I think there are, there is kind of like standard things that across the board are beneficial for like, you know, just like time management, responsibility, kind of like organization, like all those kind of things that are kind of important just to kind of like wrap your head around what you want to do. And you don't need to even apply that to like what you're studying necessarily, but just becoming a more well-rounded person. Sometimes it can help. Well, look um, at what you guys are doing, yeah. right? So you got to deal with legal contracts. You got to deal with the business side of stuff and all the financials. You got to figure out logistics of being out on the road. There's a lot of major skill sets that are required to be able to be in a band and be out on the road and be successful. Definitely. Yeah. And it's always a learning process too. And, you know, my friend that helps, helps us manage things, he, you know, started, we've known each other. We've just been friends for years and he's just never managed a band before, but we just figured out as we go, he's, he always like jokes about, it. he's like, yeah, I dropped out of high school, but. I figured it out, you know, and like, like, it's kind of just, if you, if you have the, the motivation or desire to kind of figure it out and learn and are always kind of open, open campus to learning and, and trying to kind of um, hold that knowledge in it's, you know, it's anything's possible with that kind of um, outlook, I guess. You guys have been releasing music now for 10 years and your latest album glow you release in the middle of a global pandemic talk to me about what the conversation was like as to whether or not you guys were gonna release the record on time or kind of hold on to it until things quote unquote got a little more normal yeah i think it was you know when everything shut down we had already planned on going in and recording so i think with that it almost just opened up more of a window to just kind of just isolate and just work on music and spend a lot of time trying things and mixing it and mastering it and 
all those kind of things that come with it and artwork and videos and things, which that window sometimes isn't always, isn't always there because I think we, you know, travel a lot and try to play shows a lot. And that window being open was like really cool for the process of making it, but also it was kind of like while making it, it was like, when this is done, should we put it out? Is it, is it necessary for the world right now? Is it, is it something that anyone wants or needs? Is it something that would just like kind of just fall by the wayside? Is it like, you know, and even like, especially for us too, like I think our favorite thing is being able to make, make music and then play it live and ex- like exchange it with people in a room. Um, and I think that's where a lot of our like, excitement comes from for this band. Um, so that, you know, that, that was even more of a factor for us because, you know, a lot of, a lot of times like songs just take their own shape, not after you record them, but after you're able to play them and exchange them with people in a, in a live setting. So it was very confusing, but I think, you know, kind of just let it take its course and, and somehow the, the timing was pretty good where shows were able to happen again as we were putting the record out um so yeah i can i'm super grateful for that for sure covid seems like one of those things that separated bands from their fans which caused a lot of people sadness right because we all love the music so much and we all want to go and see the bands that we love but it also gave like you're talking about this really interesting moment where you got to pause everything else and focus on just kind of hunkering down as a band and creating music. I feel like over the next couple of years, there's going to be a lot of great music coming out of this era because the bands had nothing else to do but create music. I think so too. I think it, you know, it opened up this kind of like, you know, it, it broke a pattern and I think it, it challenged everyone to kind of, uh, just challenge their perspective and just relook at things and what's important and how do we, what do we really want to do after, you know, something that is so normal as far as like making music and playing music and all these opportunities is taken away. And once it's given back, like, what do you want to do with it? You know, and what do you, um, I think, I think it was just, you know, in a lot of ways that perspective shift was, I'm hoping uh, a good thing, you know, and I think for us it was, and, you know, very excited to, um, you know, for all future opportunities and super grateful for anything after this point because it's kind of like, you know, a bonus round. So talk to me about how the band writes their songs. And I'll preface it by saying I ask these questions about the process because I do not have the ability to write songs. I wish that I did, but I definitely do not. So I'm fascinated by how the songs come to be. So Talk to me about within Turnstile, where the songs kind of come from. Do you guys all go to your separate corners with ideas? Do you get in a room and jam? How does it happen? Usually it'll be kind of just like I'll compile just ideas over time, um, just in my room. Uh, kind of just make, you know, sometimes it's little guitar things and sometimes it's vocal things and sometimes little like, progressions and things on the keyboard or just like some drum rhythms with a little riff, like a little loose riff over it and kind of like let those sit there until they start to take a shape of a song. And then I think once they 
are somewhat presentable because there's always like millions of drafts that are presented to the band. But uh, I think then usually we kind of like, once there's kind of a structure of the song, we'll then bring it and we'll all kind of like, you know, I'll see what everyone, how everyone feels and it's kind of connecting with everyone and uh, kind of just let it, you know, especially sitting on it for a while and, you know, pacing back and forth in the room, thinking about what you could change, little drum things, little drum fills and like melodies and things like that. Taking a lot of time to kind of sit with songs and like by the time it comes out, we've heard the song 10 million times, but, uh, you know, allowing it to kind of like, you know, just, uh, you know, and sometimes too, like you'll have an idea and it'll feel amazing for the first like couple of weeks. And then you realize you wake up one morning and just is like, Oh, I realize I don't like it. And this is why. And then you fully scrap it. And, you know, it's a weird process of like hold back and forth. But then again, sometimes songs will just come in one day and the whole thing's finished and that's like the final product. So it's kind of hard to kind of like ever have an exact formula, but it's cool that to look at it in a way where you can never force anything. It's very much just like every, every song is going to have its own kind of way of taking shape and kind of just like letting that process just happen. So I talked to Jerry Cantrell from Alice in Chains recently, and we were talking about this kind of thing about where the ideas come from. And he said that sometimes he just has to sing them into his phone because he's not anywhere where he could grab a guitar and like record the riff or the idea or whatever. And he's like, I have these audio files of me like singing riff ideas into my phone because I had to get them out of my head and get them somewhere where I could work on them later. And like coming up in November for Record Store Day, Aerosmith is releasing a demo of something they recorded on Joe Perry's little recorder from like 1971, like two years before their debut album came out. So when you're working on these ideas, are you are you recording all of them? Are you putting them in your phone? Are you saving them? Because you may want to release this stuff later. Oh yeah, definitely. There's a whole archive of voice memos and um, little demos on the computer and, and things like that and all the different versions of them, which is always funny to like listen back to and things that like were scrapped like a year ago, you're, you end up like revisiting and being like, ooh, this is actually, I really like this part of it and it ends up potentially working into another song in the future. So like, it's definitely cool to always kind of keep that archive of ideas just existing and something you can always tap into. And, you know, even for, even if you want to just listen to and realize why you didn't like it and then that may kind of spark something to, you know, to do uh, in the future. So I love talking to songwriters because, like I said, it's a fascinating thing. And I ask every songwriter that I interview this question that I want you to give me an example of a song that you consider perfect songwriting from a songwriter's perspective. And it can be any genre of music, any style. It doesn't matter. It could be the old Motown stuff your dad played for you. But give me an example of a song that you covet because you're like, that song is perfectly crafted and I wish I wrote it. Let me think on that for one second. <laughs> it's a really hard like, question because music lovers get, like there's too many examples and coming up with one or two can be hard. Yeah. I, uh, shoot. There's definitely, I definitely have 
now that you've asked me this question, I, I love making playlists. So I'm, after I get off this phone call, at some point, I'm going to make a playlist of songs that I think are perfect songs. That's, yes. a, that's a good theme for a little playlist. Yes. Um, but one that just came to my head because I was listening to it yesterday. So this is just one that just happened to be in my head. Um, Please Blood don't Orange. get run over by the forklift, by the way. No, it's in the distance. It's okay. really loud. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Um, Blood Orange, I Want to See You. It's the first song off the last a Blood Orange album. Um, and it's very, I just think, I was just like listening to it, like, this is perfect. This is exactly what I wanted the song. It's like, the song kind of has this very like, um, forward moving thing that never really goes back to anything and it's kind of very short and sweet and has this very like i don't know this this progression of kind of like it starts off in this one place and then it goes into this next little like very memorable kind of hook and then even goes to a more memorable hook at the end and then the song's over it's kind of like this very like beautiful this like way of like you know nothing feels beaten to the ground it's very like that was the song. It's probably like a minute long. I don't know how long it is. It's like a minute long, but it's the first song in the record. Goes to this beautiful place at the end. Has like two or three choruses in it, and then it's it's done. And it's just great. I like I like a lot of times for me as a song listener and I guess writer, like never kind of like trying to fit necessarily a, a formula that's you know even like fully digestible but something that's just kind of like this is what i want i'm taking out anything that isn't isn't necessary or doesn't spark any feeling and kind of just like this is it especially i feel like my attention span can be kind of all over the place sometimes so something so direct and just like a beautiful short direct thing can impact me the the most sometimes not all the times but i hear that a lot from songwriters that that it's it's the beauty of the simplicity that makes the song perfect. More often than not, the answers are not these long, drawn-out, symphonic songs, but they're very succinct and simple, and that's what makes them so powerful. Definitely. Yeah, I think, you know, I think both have their a perfect place and just, like, whatever you're trying to, you know, whatever mood or, you know, whatever you're trying to get across, they can have different purposes, but... I think a lot of times like that's the that's the cool thing about letting the songs kind of take their own path and not like forcing anything upon them like all right this is a cool song this feels amazing but we got to put two like we got to put three choruses and got to put a bridge in there because that's like how a song should be structured but more so just being like this song feels great because it's just one verse one chorus some like guitar solo and then it's done and sometimes it's cool to just really embrace whatever it is and like not ever have any kind of formula that's, you know, put onto the song for any other reason other than this feels, this feels great as it is, you know? So. Generations of rock bands have had this argument and music critics and people have argued this for decades about the future of rock and roll. And I want to talk to you about it because you are part of this new generation of rock band. What do you say to people that say, oh, rock is dead? Oh, it's, it's over. It can never be what it was. 
you know, it's played out. It's got nowhere to go. You're, you're a band that's out right now building a fan base, making new music, kind of going against everything that those critics say. What, what do you have to say to those people? I think at the end of the day, everything is just, you know, everyone has their own unique perspective. And, you know, for any band or any person, really it's up to you to kind of just like, you know, do your own thing and carve your own path. And, you know, like one person's perspective on what music is or what it should be is going to be so different from someone else's um, based on what they're experiencing, what bands they're into, what they're seeing, what shows they're going to, um, what they're inspired by. And I think that inspiration will always be there and there's always going to be amazing humans making amazing things. And it's never something that's too, I think you can never put a number on it either. You know, it's like some of the, the best things I've ever discovered in life are things that, you know, maybe like five people would come up to a sh- come out to a show and see. And, you know, I think never looking at things on a scale of like, what's the biggest, what's the smallest. It's like, things are always beautiful, amazing, inspirational things are always going to exist. And it's just kind of up to the individual to kind of, uh, open their perspective and open their uh, ability to find it and to like look for it and you know so you've been yeah you've been out on this tour with a ton of bands and you don't get to spend 24 hours a day on stage so what are some of the things that you guys are doing to keep yourselves occupied either amongst yourselves or with all of the other bands that you guys are touring with? Is there, is there gambling going on? Is there parking lot football going on? What is it that you guys are doing when you're not on stage to keep yourselves occupied? Try to stay active, you know, like bike rides and going on runs and kind of just moving around because, you know, you can be, be kind of stationary if you're sitting in the van for super long and uh, not paying attention to this year, your body. So a lot of that, um, I always keep my chessboard on me in case there's any challengers around. So, how long chess, have you been playing chess? Uh, just a few years, and I'm not good. I, I'm not that good. Like you know, we we play each other, but I've never like truly challenged. Uh, you know, a uh, I don't know, a, com- a co- like a competitive in a competitive way, uh, or, or competed or anything. But it's just a fun thing to do. Um, pass the time and. Um, things like that, you know, today's like a beautiful sunny day. So probably just going for walks and, um, working on little music things in the van and, uh, little video things and just staying active, you know, staying, uh, yeah, just staying engaged in one way or another. Did you see the Dave Grohl documentary, what drives us about, how important it is for rock bands to tour in a van in the early years. Did you see that doc yet? I, I don't think I've seen it, but I think I've heard of it. It's pretty interesting to hear all of these bands of different genres talk about what a formative experience it was. And like one of the things that struck me was like, there's Ringo Starr from the Beatles talking about touring in a van in the very early days of the band and complaining about all the other band members farting in the van. 
which is an example like that every band has had to deal with it no matter how big and successful but I just had this image of like you don't imagine the Beatles touring in a van and farting on each other but even they did it's a very it's a very influential time to spend that much time crammed in a van together traveling around you really find out if you can deal with the guys in your band or not when you're in a van yeah Definitely. I think it is, it is, it is important. I think, you know, we're lucky to have known each other growing up and had already established, you know, being around each other a lot. I think that that always helps. I feel like with bands to be able to have some sort of already established, not jumping in with total strangers and um, hoping that it, it works out. The dynamic works out. Um, but yeah, it's very, I always, it's like a, extreme intimate relationship that's split you know five ways that you need to constantly be aware of each other constantly be aware of like you know uh be considerate and kind of understand when you're kind of because everyone kind of like has different sensitivities that it's like you grow to be aware of and kind of like respect and just to kind of i think at the end of the day everyone wants to be there and everyone wants to feel good and no one wants to like look at it as like some job that you have to do or something that you you know like at the end of the day, if it was ever like that, we just wouldn't be here. I think it's like, it's really important to kind of nurture the, the overall just like well-being of everyone. So that's something that's fulfilling and something that like we really do want to be here. And we are excited to play the music and make the music and, and be together making it. So it is really important to kind of like, you know, one, keep that start in that intimate like setting with the van and make sure that you can kind of like process what it means to kind of like share the space with people and kind of like you know uh you know be considerate and kind of like have this relationship that's very healthy and uh and always kind of keep that in the back of your head so and you do it because you go out on the road because you want to play for the fans so before i let you go can you talk to me about the relationship between turnstile and your fans and and you know, being separated from your fans during COVID for so long, I think all bands felt kind of isolated because you you want that exchange with your audience. So can you just talk about the relationship between your band and your fans? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, like, we've been playing shows for and touring for a while now. It's just, like... It's just always, you know, playing shows is always an opportunity to meet new people. And so, you know, we have friends that we've toured with in bands or friends that have let us stay at their house on their couch um, and that have put us up. And like, really, it's like, especially looking back over the last seven, eight years or so, it's like you realize how many amazing friendships you make by being able to travel and connect, like using music as the kind of like the platform to kind of connect with and, you know, it kind of it goes a little deeper than just like uh, kind of like venue music and and crowd kind of thing. It's like there's very much like a a, a cool uh, opportunity to kind of just connect and to be to exist and realize that like you know not necessarily like people are there to watch Turnstile play, but we're there and they're there to kind of like share an experience. You know what I mean? So. I think in some ways that's kind of like what the way that it feels good to uh, to look at it and so that it's always kind of felt 
um, especially seeing these last couple weeks of being able to travel again to these places that we haven't been to in a couple years and realizing like the people that are coming to the show, I'm like, wow, I haven't seen you in two years when I'm used to seeing you every like, uh, I don't know, a couple months or something like that. And it kind of just like, is really exciting to be able to kind of understand that, like those relationships and see those things. And uh, after not having it for so long and realizing how kind of fragile and um, I don't know, important the process of just like being able to go out and, you know, nothing's forever. And it's just always being appreciative of the opportunity to travel opportunity to meet new people and to have cool shows where people can come and, you know, get whatever they want to get out and, uh, just have a, have a good time. Well, it was really nice to meet you. Um, even though we had to do it virtually, unfortunately, but you're one of those bands that every time I turn around, somebody's asking me like, have you heard turnstile yet? So I was really excited to talk to you and, the next time we talk, I'm very excited to hear what you put on your perfect song playlist. I will get that ready for you, and then I'll just I'll send it over. So. <laughs> I would love that because I'm very, like I said, I I love the art of music. I love the craft of songwriting, but I do not have the ability. And everyone's answers are different about what they consider a perfect song to be and what their reasoning is for it. So. I'm very curious if you put a whole playlist together of songs that you're like, man, I wish I wrote that song. That song is perfect. I want to hear what's on there. I definitely got you. And they'll all be very different from each other. That's the beauty the of it. The song is so, it's so, uh, you can't, it's intangible. That's so. right. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. And I hope to see you soon. There he is, Brendan Yates from Turnstile. Their latest album, Glow On, is available everywhere. Don't forget the corresponding playlist that goes with episode 72 of the Mistress Carrie podcast is linked in the show notes, and it's got a bunch of their music and a lot of other stuff too. There's also links so you can find the band everywhere, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and it's got all of my links there as well. Special thanks once again to our sponsor, Digital Federal Credit Union at dcu.org. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss anything from the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday, plus every weekday you get the sit rep. All of your rock news, music headlines, and industry info, and all in less than five minutes. You can join me every Tuesday night live on my Facebook page for Cocktails in the War Room, and you can always find me online at mistresscarry.com, which is where you'll find my blog, my events calendar, my photo gallery, and the official online Mistress Carrie store. There's a little bit of everything. T-shirts, hoodies, beanies, beer koozies, pint glasses, and coffee mugs, too. And if you want even more, get a Mistress Carrie Backstage Pass on Patreon. The Mistress Carrie Podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 